Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you sure? I, it sounds like you're dead. Like, it, good, fine. You're just waking up. You rolled off on the wrong side of the bed, it sounds like. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2, mark that, and then turn to Mark chapter 3. Acts chapter 2, Mark chapter 3. Uh, today's question, and uh, one of the things I want to encourage you to continue, is if you have questions kind of come up as you're reading or doing through things, uh, going through your devotional and stuff like that, is you can submit your questions. So you can submit them to this number, or you can find us on, on Facebook, and you can uh, submit your questions through Facebook Messenger for the Church of Three Trails. But if you want to text this number, 816-877-9295, 816-877-9295, you can submit or text your questions to that. We'd love to have you uh, be a part of it. Now, I will tell you, we're kind of running out of um, weeks uh, with what's going on, because our goal is to kind of do this during the summer uh, with the chaos of everything and not really go into that, but answer some of the questions that you have based upon God's Word. So here's today's question. Is baptism required for salvation? Right? Now, a lot of people, or there are some denominations that would say, yes, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. In other words, if you don't get dunked in the water, you ain't going nowhere, right? Um, and so today we want to dig into the text. We want to dig into scripture, see what it looks like. See, baptism or baptisms have been witnessed by many people across the years, and they have great meaning, great significance uh, when done properly. As a matter of fact, my parents, a couple years ago, before my dad passed away, they took a trip over to the Middle East, uh, or I guess over into Israel, sorry, and they were baptized in the Jordan River. Anybody been baptized in the Jordan River? Anybody been over there? Okay, there we go. We got one. All right. So there's a great significance there. They try and just use it. You know, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, so people want to be baptized in the river that Jesus was baptized in. But I also want you to understand that there are a lot of bad or misconceptions, not based upon Scripture, but based upon tradition and different things like that, that we've allowed to creep in with this idea about baptism. See, many, uh, many of you maybe have witnessed or been a part of infant baptism, right? The Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, and some others uh, practice that tradition. Others have thought baptism is a saving work. As a matter of fact, I've had conversations with pastors, like I said, who would say, you might believe in Jesus, but if you weren't baptized and you got in a car wreck on the way out and you weren't baptized, sorry, it's over right? Yeah, you're like, you're not going to go to heaven if you haven't been baptized. And so what we want to do is really ask this question, is baptism required for salvation? And the reason I bring that up, if you read Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 37, and I'm going to give you some context after we read, all right? It says this, when the people heard this, they were what? Does anybody know? They were cut to the heart. And it said to Peter, or and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So people have used that verse right there, taken out of context to say, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Peter says that baptism is required for salvation. And so we're going to use that as the springboard to really begin to say, what does Scripture really teach us about what salvation is, as well as what does baptism mean? As a matter of fact, today we get to baptize a couple of, of, or well, three of our kids. But I also want to open it up as an opportunity, if you've never been baptized, that today maybe you would make that decision. So here's the big idea today. Here's the statement I want you to remember if you remember anything else. The good news, 
proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit, cuts to the heart and calls us to repentance and obedience. Repentance and obedience, right? There's a, there's a play here that we have to begin to understand that Scripture calls us to always, right? Number one is repentance, to turn away from the life I've been living, the life I've walked in, the sins I've gone through, and then to turn to Jesus and to follow him in obedience. So as we play that out, we begin to understand what we see here in the text. So I wanted to give you the context, right? As a matter of fact, if you've ever heard this, a text taken out of context is just a con. You ever heard that? Right? When I take the text out of context, I can con anybody into believing anything. Right? That's where people begin to say and believe what they believe about gender identity. That's where people begin to say that's what we believe about homosexuality. But I'm also going to say this, and we're going to deal with this later on. It's also why people begin to say, hey, it's okay if I'm in a heterosexual relationship outside the bounds of marriage. At least I'm not homosexual. And that's false as well. All right, so we're going to deal with all kinds of those things, but I want you to understand what takes place. A text taken out of context is just a con. The gospel is good news that demands a response, even if it means warning and pleading with people. So the gospel is good news, right? We proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. There is nothing you and I can do to earn that salvation. There's nothing you and I can do to buy that salvation. It's no matter how good you think you are, there's no hope for you to earn it apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. All right? Or by his death on the cross, sorry, his burial and resurrection. That's a basic salvation overview. That's a basic understanding of the good news, that what we deserve, which is separation from God, which is hell, which is eternally separated from him, no, God says, I have given the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I bring up the context, Peter in Acts chapter 2, what we understand is this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He tells them to wait on the Holy Spirit. The beginning of Acts chapter 2, here comes the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit shows up, and all of a sudden, the disciples, the apostles, are speaking in native languages that they might not have known. It's called tongues, right? In other words, it's a language somebody knew, somebody knows, they've spoken in it, but not everybody had necessarily known that. It would be like me going over to Romania and all of a sudden speaking Romanian. God gave me the gift of tongues to speak in Romanian. People are like, whoa, what are they doing? What's going on? Right? So they're doing that. And as they do that, it, there's this crowd around them that begins to question, what is going on with these guys? Like we see them speaking in languages and we hear them in our own voices. And we know that they weren't able to speak that before. What's going on? Right? And Peter says, in the beginning of it, Peter stood up. In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully. These men are not drunk as you suppose. All right? They ain't been hitting the hard stuff. But they were with the Holy Spirit. And then what Peter does is he lays out the gospel. He spells the gospel out in a very simple way to those people who are listening. The good news of Jesus, 
right? He proclaims the message of the gospel. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And he goes on and he says all kinds of things. And then verse 22, he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But listen, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So what, G- what Peter does is he lays out the gospel to those people, and then what we hear is this, that they were cut to the heart. And as they were cut to the heart, they asked this question, what are we supposed to do? Right? In the midst of that reality, in the midst of that truth that Peter just lays out, what are we supposed to do about this? Because we're looking for an answer. We're looking for direction. We're looking for hope in life. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Now, it's important to understand the context or even the language with which this was written for us to understand the reality behind this text, the truth behind this text. So listen, I want us to understand this, that Peter reminds the people of their involvement in killing Christ. And one of the things that all of us have to remember is this. We were all involved in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. When we see that, the wages of sin is death, then we see that Jesus' death on the cross was the wage of the sin, but it wasn't Jesus' sin, it was the sins of the people he was dying for, ours. And what the world wants to say is, well, that's crazy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The wisdom of the cross, while foolishness to the world, is the wisdom of God. Jesus' death on the cross was the wisdom of God so that we could have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Peter reminds the people of their involvement. All of us are involved in that. But I want you to see what plays out here. So this idea of repent and be baptized is this outward expression of allegiance to Jesus. But listen to what takes place. This verb, repent, is in the plural. And in the plural, it lines up with the pronoun your sins. So the plural aspect of the verb aligns with your sins. And so when we get to this idea where it says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus, I really want you to kind of read it like this. Repent every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and be baptized. Repent is a verb that goes with the plural form of the nouns and everything that's playing out right there. And be baptized is an imperative. So the repent aspect is a verb where I'm called to repent and then I'm going to line myself up, repent for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and then be baptized is the imperative he gives as a result of repentance. An imperative is a command. If I say to you, it's imperative that you get this done, what does that mean? It's important. It's vital. Like if I go to my son and I say, or my daughters, it's imperative that this is done before I get home. That's an option, right? No, it's a command. And what we see based upon this text and then Matthew chapter 28 is this, that baptism is the command that we are called to carry out to do, right? Jesus, in the the Great Commission, the very last thing, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So here's how it plays out. Repentance means that I've confessed my sins, I've turned towards Jesus, right? And I'm following after him. 
I'm going to chase after him. I acknowledge and I need, I put my faith and trust in, in the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is then as a result. So I've confessed, I've repented. Baptism then is something that happens. And as a result then, because of my baptism, because of my new life in Christ, then I am to teach people to obey. Good grief. I must have a shocking personality. I don't know. Sorry. That's lame. Sorry, that's a bad dad joke. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is. Um, where, did I, where was I? Baptism, right? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Repentance, baptism, and then there's this idea of teaching people how to follow Jesus. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, right? Now, baptism is the commandment. So today I want to answer this question, and really there's multiple ones along there. What, is it, what does baptism mean, all right? Number two is why should I be baptized? Number three, why by immersion? And number four, who should be baptized, all right? So there are really four questions on this idea, is baptism required for salvation? Of which I hope you've gotten to this point now that you realize that baptism is not required for salvation. Baptism is following in the command of Jesus to, to align my life with him and to place my life under his authority. It really does symbolize a number of things. So number one, what does baptism mean? Number one is this. It illustrates Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So baptism symbolizes something. As a matter of fact, if you turn over to, to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, I told you to place your finger there. We're going to read through this just real quick for you to understand what's going on. John the Baptist has come. He's preaching the good news of the gospel to those who are, are out there, who, those who are in the wilderness. He's talking about the Messiah. He's proclaiming the, the coming Messiah. As a matter of fact, he says that he was baptizing, and he said that I baptize with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So then we get to verse 13, and it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There is something important to understand here that we all need to see. All right? From the very beginning, the Trinity was in effect. The Trinity existed. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God was over all things, and the Spirit hovered over the waters, and it says that the Word, which is the spoken Word, which is Jesus, as we're identified in John 1 and Colossians 1, was the one who initiated or created all things. And now we see at Jesus' baptism, we see the Father acknowledging the obedience of the Son, who's evident right there in his baptism, and then the Spirit coming down. And so what we see is three distinct individual persons of the Godhead or the Trinity working simultaneously, working in coordination, co-equal, co-eternal to carry out God's plan. And so baptism illustrates Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
It's important for us to understand that. Like the way, the reason why we do baptism the way we do baptism is because of the way it was played out in the life of Jesus as well as the new believers all throughout the New Testament. Baptism signifies something. It means something. It has great value and great importance, but it doesn't mean or it doesn't save you. Like, I joked about this. It's probably been three or four years ago. That water is what you drink out of your pipe. Ain't nothing special about the water. We didn't go get it somewhere. It's a symbolic act uniting you. You're, you're proclaiming your unity, your unification with Jesus, allowing him to be the authority, the king, and the author of everything in your life. So it illustrates Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, number one. Number two, it illustrates my new life as a Christian. When I am baptized, it's the idea that I am united with Christ and I am buried in my sins, in my trespasses, in my transgressions, in, in all of my filthiness that I am buried, that my life is dead and gone, and I'm raised to walk in a new life. And so it illustrates this new life as a Christian. And a new life is a result of Jesus working in and through you. It's a result of allowing the Spirit to speak to you from His Word. And there's this idea, and hear, hear me out when I say this, Okay. There's this idea that has crept into the church, and it's been doing it for years because Paul talks about it in Galatians. But it's this idea, well, I got Jesus so I can continue to sin and do whatever the heck I want, and I'll just go to him and confess. And while it's true that Jesus will always forgive you of the sins that you confess to him, it's also true that we're not to continue to run headlong into sin as a disobedience to what God has called us to be. And there's a lot, of, a, a lot of Christians out there who want to use this idea that I got Jesus for a license to do whatever the heck you want. And they'll say things like this. Well, I'm just a sinner, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. Well, that's not an excuse, right? The whole idea of Matthew chapter 28 is this. He says to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey me. This idea of teaching is, is learning to align our lives with the truth of Scripture. And so baptism does not save me, but it is something that symbolically illustrates my new life as a Christian. See, baptism doesn't make you a believer. It demonstrates that you already believe. It demonstrates to others that you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Romans chapter 6 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live to have a new life. So, baptism doesn't save you. Only your faith in Christ does that. Matter of fact, you can go into Acts and you'll see that consistently played out. You can see it in Ephesians chapter 2. You can see it throughout that Paul and Peter were always working together. I've heard people say, well, Paul and Peter were on completely opposite pages. One preached salvation by works and one preached salvation by faith. No, you're reading the text out of context and you're being conned by people who say that's the way it is. Read the text in context, and you will always see that Paul and Peter are proclaiming a unifying message. That is salvation by grace through faith as a result of Jesus' completed work on the cross. But as a result of my salvation, then there are things I am called to do. So why should I be baptized? 
Number one, Jesus commands it. We just talked about that. Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That is a command. Most people don't realize it. But this is an idea that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father. That's the command. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commands. Jesus' last words before ascending into heaven was this great commission. And as we follow Jesus' teaching, we see the meaning and significance of baptism from the start. Number two, why should I be baptized? To follow Jesus' example. We said it already illustrates Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It also illustrates my new life as a Christian, but I'm baptized because I'm following Christ's example. Keep in mind, Matthew chapter 4, what we just said. Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is laying out an example that he wants others to follow, that when they unite themselves through, with Christ, through faith, that they follow in baptism, showing everybody else. It's a symbol to the world that I have laid my life down. That the life I live, I no longer live for myself, but I live through the power of Jesus Christ. And so it literally is to follow Christ's example in everything. Jesus sets the greatest example. And baptism is an outward sign of an inward commitment that we made. So Matthew chapter 4, we see that played out. Now here's the thing I want to cover because a lot of us go, well, I don't understand why you're so hardcore about all of this type of stuff. But why immersion? Right? You brought up infant baptism and you're saying, well, that doesn't work, or sprinkling doesn't work, and things like that. But I want us to understand why baptism is significant and why it, it has meaning. Number one, why immersion? And we'll always say this because Jesus was baptized that way. The reason we practice baptism by immersion is because Jesus was baptized that way. He went into the river and he got dunked underwater. The word baptizo actually means to be dunked or to be buried or to be dipped underwater. So the reason we baptize by immersion is because Jesus showed us the example first. As soon as Jesus was baptized, it says he went up out of the water. So it is significant in what it symbolizes. Number two, every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. Everyone. Not a single one covers anything else. Doesn't talk about sprinkling. Doesn't talk about whatever else it may be. It was by immersion. Matter of fact, if you were to read Acts chapter 8, there's this great story about this guy named Philip. And Philip goes into a town and he starts to proclaim the gospel to Simon the sorcerer and a crowd that's around him. And as a result of Philip proclaiming the gospel, it says that not only was some of the people in the crowd baptized in Acts chapter 8 verses 12 and 13, but it also says that Simon the sorcerer was baptized in Acts chapter 8 verse 14. And then Philip leaves that town and he's on the way, on the road, and, and he's going south. And as he does, he comes across this guy, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, a guy who was really high up in the government. And he's reading this gospel, this, this book called Isaiah. And as he's reading, Philip walks up and he's like, hey, do you understand what it means? And he's like, how can I understand? Nobody's here to tell me. And Philip's like, well, let me tell you the gospel. And he shares about the slaughtered lamb, the, the broken lamb of Jesus. And, and Philip leads this, this man to Christ. And, the, and this guy says, hey, there's water over there. Why can't I be baptized? Philip's like, let's go baptize you. And so that's how it happens. Everything, every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. The word literally means, and I've said this before, to dip underwater. But it also means, listen, it's this idea of washing or cleansing. And here's the reality. 
Jesus' shed blood washes away your sins. It cleanses you of any and all unrighteousness if you place your faith and trust in him. But hear, hear me out when we talk about this. It's the symbolic of his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also symbolic of you being dead and broken and dirty and nasty and being walked up, washed away, washed clean. Not by the water, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to understand that every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. So that's why we do it. So we see why immersion? Because Jesus was baptized that way. Second one, because every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. And then we ask this question, who should be baptized? And here's why we take the stance on where we're at. And I've had parents come to me um, and ask me, hey, I want to have you baptize my kid. And I'm like, all right, how how old are they? Well, they're four. All right, well, let's sit down. We'll have a conversation with your son or daughter. And, and we'll discuss it. I believe one of the key things is that we know, or our kids know, whoever's being baptized can know why they're being baptized. It's important that they can recall and understand what it is. That baptism has significance and meaning, right? And that we take it very seriously. But at the same time, we want to be very specific. I don't expect them to know every single detail of everything. Like, I'm not going to expect a five-year-old to be able to reiterate every little bit of what I've just said. But they have to understand, at least have an understanding of what's going on. Acts chapter 2 says this, those who believed and accepted his message were baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So when we see that, when we play this out, it says that those who had accepted his message were baptized. What was the message that Peter was proclaiming? The good news of the what? Gospel? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? And it says that when those people who were there at that point in time, hearing what Peter was saying, accepted, then they were baptized. So here's how I always like to say it. Baptism should always follow conversion. If you were baptized as a child, listen, I'm not going to say there's nothing wrong, honestly. But baptism always follows conversion. If you were sprinkled instead of dunked, baptism always follows conversion. And what we say is we believe that it should follow exactly the, the, the example given in Scripture. So when we bring up this question, who should be baptized, I say it this way, everyone who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. So here at Three Trails, we always wait until our children are old enough to believe and understand without coercion, right? Without feeling guilty. Like my last thing ever is to be a pastor who's going to manipulate you into a a situation or a decision to get you to do what I want you to do. When the reality is, if that's the case, then I look at the Holy Spirit as powerless. When the truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit has all power and all authority. And if you want to be baptized and he's convicting you of that and he's calling you to that, then that's on you, not on me. I don't want to guilt anybody into it. I don't want to manipulate anybody into it, including our children. We want to make sure that baptism always follows conversion. And so when I say that, I lay this out to you to understand exactly what that means. And then here's the last one. When? When? should I be baptized? And now here's 
the way it oftentimes works. I will say this, as soon as you have believed, right? But we also know there's a lot of things that go in. People want to have family come and watch them get baptized, which, hey, that's great. That's awesome. Also, sometimes churches aren't ready for baptism, right? It takes a while for me to, matter of fact, I come up here on Thursday. It takes about two hours to fill this bad boy, right? Like, there's a lot of water in there, and it's great. And we love it. And sometimes it's cold because sometimes the heater just doesn't work. And sometimes it's hot like last time. It was really hot. <laughs> it was warmer than a hot tub it felt like. If we had jets, it would have been perfect. But listen, the idea is this. As soon as you've believed. And so today we're going to do that. We're going to practice three baptisms. We're going to have three baptisms of kids who have proclaimed that they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. They've acknowledged that. They've confessed their sins. They want to follow Jesus in baptism, which I believe is the greatest example of everything we can do. And hear me out, church. That's not where it stops, right? Baptism is like the beginning of training our children to love and follow Jesus day in and day out, to learn what it means to be a part of the church and to love and to follow and serve along in the church. And listen, there's always conflict, When you have people involved, there's a little bit of conflict here and there, but learning how to work with and deal with conflict in a biblical way where we continue to move forward with great grace and great obedience to the scriptures because the scripture is the very thing that leads us in the direction we're called to go. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to literally have a baptism or three. I should clarify. So I'm going to have Sarah come up. We're going to close or we're going to have a song while we go get ready. All right. But I also wanted to open up this opportunity. All right. We don't have a lot of stuff ready for, for this. Do we have shorts? You got shorts? Yeah. If somebody has come today and you said, hey, I want to follow the Lord in baptism, and I didn't really have this, this planned. I've never done it before. We've, we've got shorts. We've got shirts. These are our cool new shirts we just had made um, for that, that you can, you can get ready. You can be ready, and you can go. Please hear me out when I say this. Again, not manipulation. If you say, hey, today's not the day, but I want to follow the Lord in baptism, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, that you would write it on the card, because I know we've got two other individuals who want to be baptized who couldn't be here today, right? And that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll fill this sucker up every week if we got to, right? Like, that's, when I, that's my prayer, that we become a church that's a lighthouse in this community, that we begin to share the gospel. Please hear me out when I say this. It's not just my job. It's your job to be the vessels and instruments who take the good news of the gospel to those who are outside. So if you are somebody who says, I want to be saved, or I'm confessing today that I'm following Jesus Christ for the first time, and I want to be baptized, then what we're going to ask you to do is just meet me right back here. All right? I'm going to pray. Chris and I are going to go get ready. I think Chris is already back there. And we're going to have our baptisms. If nobody comes, it's no big deal. If you want to write on that card, place an offering plate at the end, that'd be great. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Knowing that salvation is not, or baptism is not necessary for salvation. God, I think of the thief on the cross who didn't have a chance to become baptized. But based upon his confession, when he acknowledged your innocence, your son's innocence, God, that Jesus answered and looked at him square in the eyes, I believe, and just said, today you will be with me in paradise. So God, we acknowledge that baptism is a symbolic act, uniting our lives with Jesus, showing the world that we believe that Jesus 
has buried our past life, our old life. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are forgiven. And we're raised to walk in a new life in Christ with great hope and great expectation as we follow you that you're going to work great things in our lives and you're going to teach us and lead us in every situation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.